if I may have everyone's attention, before we get started and too far into the bubbly tonight, <laughs> I want to welcome our new members of Congress, along with all the GOP luminaries from around the nation. Cheers to you all. Here, here, here. Cheers. Cheers. Now, why don't you mingle about and get to know each other? We have a busy two years ahead to prepare for President DeSantis. Gosh almighty and lordy lordy, I do love these gatherings each year. All these elephants crammed into one hot and sweaty super spreader room. Makes me all tingly inside. Why, Governor DeSantis, what a pleasure to see you here tonight. Thank you, Lindsay. And thank you for the perfume and nighty for Christmas. The wife loved them. Well, those weren't for... Uh, I mean, I'm so glad. I didn't get any fucking perfume from you, you fucking weasel. I'm just kidding, you fancy-ass prick. I don't drink perfume no more. Oh, fuck. Well, if it isn't Little Miss Bobert. I thought this was for election winners. And election deniers. Well, Carrie Lake, as I live and breathe. Well, it's a party now. I love the face Vaseline. Very 1985. It licks the Vaseline from its face. Stop licking me, Ted. My date wouldn't appreciate it. Not a date. Just a friend. Friend zone. Not hot. I mean, back in the day, no doubt, would have grabbed you by your p- Uh, were any interns invited to this party? This sucks. I agree. Always a better shindig when the interns are around. <laughs> William Jefferson Clinton, what in the world are you doing here? I'm getting an award from McConnell. Celebrating 30 years since I took office and did everything Republicans asked me to. Plus, me and old Gatesy here are going to head down to the intern pool after this and, you know, have a dip. <laughs> it's an honor, sir. I just announced my bid for president, and I'm hoping to follow in your footsteps. Who the fuck are you? George. George... Uh, Clooney, sir. I just returned from space with Richard Branson. It lies. Damn it. Who let Santos in here? Not Santos. Clooney. Famous. He's a George, but not curious like the monkey. I'm in charge now. Shut, Shut up, up, Kevin. Kevin. I'm the new speaker. No, you're not. Am. Oh, my God. What is going on? Are they storming the Capitol again? Those are our people, dummy. It's worse. It's her. Uh, who's her? Don't panic. I'm in charge. Shut, Shut up, up Kevin. Kevin. There she is. AOC. I'm AOC. Shut, Shut up, up, George. George. Very still you should be. In her eye you cannot look. That was close. God, she's beautiful. But why did everyone go so quiet? She's GOP kryptonite, the most powerful force in the universe. I went to college with her. Shut, Shut up, up, George! George. This is a major podcast and we call it UNFTR. I'm fucking the Republic is the name that is not safe for work. We hate Reagan, Milton Friedman, Rupert Murdoch, and Matt Gaines. Talk socioeconomics, global markets, politics, and race. Max, the host is basic and admits he likes Miami Vice. 99 produces, also she's a vegan and she's nice. Manny Faces is the genius on the board behind the glass.
Together they produce this unbelievable fucking podcast. 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 Oh, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, by the way, my name is Tom McGovern, and just know that I'm a hired gun. So if you're gonna hate somebody, please don't let me be the one. Now you have the details of the show and the entire cast. So listen to this unbelievable fucking podcast. So listen to this unbelievable, this unbelievable, so listen to this unbelievable fucking podcast. Hey, unfuckers, it's Max. We got ourselves a new year, a new Congress, and a new mess of circumstances that require unfucking. But we're easing into 2023 with kind of an unfiltered episode as we tune the show engine and prepare to kick this show into high gear. Before we get to it, here's 99 to thank our sponsors. Unfucking the Republic is brought to you by overcaffeinated members, Cringy, Joa, G-Wookie of Ohio, Goat, Eric Wagner 101, David MJ, Corey S, Cindy S, Bree X, Brian, Awesome A, Alfian Flash, and Asshole. So, 2022 was a big year for us. We surpassed the million download mark, hit our 300th member, and pumped out a substantial amount of content with well over 100 shows at this point, between full-on fuckings, topical cream, quickies, phone of friends, and, of course, show notes. All in, it took a toll, not gonna lie. The past couple of weeks, 99 and I have taken some time to recalibrate and plan out the year, not only for UNFTR, but for our core business that pays the bills and lets us keep cranking. So today, I wanted to start the year a little more conversationally to set expectations for the year, make a couple of pretty big announcements, and talk about the media and content landscape, and it will all make sense. So to begin, let's talk about the direction of the show. Long-time unfuckers have heard the show evolve quite dramatically since our initial episodes. Over the past two years, we've tightened up in certain areas and let loose in others. We've done a number of multi-part episodes, added new features like Phone-A-Friend and Topical Cream, and split show notes out to connect with unfuckers more directly. You've been with us through it all for a little more than two years now, and you remain the gas in our tank and the wind in our sails. But it's time now to change things up a bit. In the earlier days, I think some of the formats worked a little better. The shows had a bit more punch to them, and yet somehow there was still too much blather in them. I think there's a solid middle ground to take on our full unfuckings that are more streamlined while maintaining our core strength of research and sourcing. The pace of the full unfuckings was honestly a bit too intense last year, so I want to ensure that everything we put out is top-notch, which means leveraging our non-traditional formats more often so we maximize the quality of the full unfuckings. I think the strongest potential is in leveraging more guests in our phone of friends, which were fun and enlightening. I'd also like to get back to some of our palate cleansing sketches, but do so in a way that doesn't distract from the primary text. Now, in terms of the nuts and bolts of our operation, there really is a lot going on. First off, we are indeed migrating from Substack in about a month or so. We've enlisted the support from a couple of trusted friends to thoroughly scrub and edit our back catalog of essays and we'll be moving them into the core UNFTR website to house everything in one place. There's a couple of reasons behind this. First off, Substack is a closed environment. In order for our written work to be discovered independent of the podcast and Substack, we want to put it out into a more open environment that is easily accessible. This will allow us to continue delivering the content via email each week and make it easy for people to subscribe and receive the essays. Since all of our content is free anyway, there's no downside. It's just a lot of work to get there. And there's also the weird feeling of being on a platform with other creators that aren't necessarily, let's say, as committed to sourcing integrity and authenticity. 
And that relates to the second part of this episode. For those of you who are subscribed to our Substack, it will be seamless and easy, I promise. And going forward, everything will be faster, cleaner, and more organized in one place. Now, for the big announcements. Manny, drumroll please. First one is, we're starting a YouTube channel. Better late than never, I suppose. Because podcasting is such a wide-open field and lacks discovery and indexing for small to medium-sized shows, it's very hard to break out. In fact, it's a miracle that we've grown as much as we have, which is a testament to your loyalty and dedication to helping us expand our reach. YouTube is, of course, a very different animal. And I learned something in my other job a long time ago, which is to be platform orthodox. It's important when creating content to deliver it in a way that makes sense for the platform it lives on. Just taking the audio from the show and sticking it on YouTube never really made sense to me. And because we don't have a conversational show and everything we do is tightly researched, scripted, and long, it doesn't automatically translate to video. In fact, one of the reasons we teamed up with Manny Faces for the podcast is because we were dead set on creating an outstanding audio experience. But YouTube's going to be a little different. So in an effort to expand our reach and find new unfuckers, we're going to go for it. But it's going to be a vastly different format and show. It's going to be more frequent and much shorter. And yes, you'll be able to see my stupid basic white guy face as well. It's something that I've been planning for a long time, and in the recent months I've been working overtime to get up to speed with a format that apparently seven-year-olds have no trouble mastering. It's been a humbling experience, to say the least. And needless to say, the first few months will probably look very different and be pretty shitty compared to how it ultimately evolves, just like the audio experience. What's critical is that this is additive, and it doesn't come at the expense of the podcast, which is the bread and butter, and ultimately what we're going to be promoting. The goal is to grow as big of an audience as the content and format allows with the intent to bring new unfuckers into the podcasting universe with us. So here's what I need from everyone listening right now. A few months ago, we started a YouTube channel to put up the video of Jesse Jackson's convention speech that so many people wrote in to watch and hear. We gave it the Manny treatment and it really struck a chord with people, so we thought it would be nice to have up there. Now, what's cool is that we also needed 100 subscribers in order to get a custom URL instead of just a bunch of numbers and letters, and Unfuckers did us a solid by doing just that in short order. So the channel is super easy to find. Go to youtube.com slash at UNFTR or just search UNFTR on the site and you'll find us right away. Now we have another important milestone to hit. We have to reach 1,000 subscribers as quickly as possible and then, obviously, we'll need to blow past that number in short order. The 1,000 sub milestone allows us to register as a creator on YouTube so we can jump into the conversation. So please, please, please do our scrappy little team a huge favor, head over to YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Then in a couple of weeks, we'll make our debut. Remember, it's going to be slow at first. I'm old and stupid and this shit is all new, but I'm hoping to skill up quickly and make this happen. Now, one more thing before we jump into a conversation about the media landscape today. We're also working on our very first book, a collection of UNFTR essays that are being lovingly edited and curated by friends of the show, and more on that later. But I'm super excited about this. The plan is to print a limited run of the collection and sell them directly on the site so we can personalize and sign each one of them. There will be some special features in the book and some surprises and listener shoutouts, and that's all I'm going to say about it now, because we're still a couple of months away. But hopefully, it'll be a quality resource and a keepsake from the show that unfuckers will really dig. So, obviously, we're taking a lot of steps to really make this show stand on its own and stand out from the pack. 
You've been so gracious in your support, whether it's through memberships, buying our merch or our coffee, or just listening and getting in touch with us. So hopefully you feel a sense of belonging and agency in our growth thus far and the next steps going forward. And with that, let's chat briefly about the media, since we're about to dip our toe into yet another medium. UNFTR is also sponsored by overcaffeinated members William N., Terry C., Sultan, Specker, Ryan F., Rodrigo G., Rob Nasby, Pete M., Nathan E., Nettie Hugger 1, Michelle H., Marco F., Matthew, and the memory of Nettie McGee. And we're back. So, making the leap to go cross-platform on YouTube has some pitfalls. It's a different medium with different expectations, but there's no question that it's powerful when done correctly. It's also powerful when done incorrectly. And that's where my head's been for the last several months. The amount of disinformation in the media landscape is dispiriting. At the same time, there's so much good work being done in certain corners of the internet and in the potosphere. And yet, social media has diminished our attention spans and pressured media outlets to lean into the viral and the sensational to keep up with our voracious appetites for news and information. It's a vicious cycle that has driven us apart more than it's brought us together. There is a reason that news literacy is a course path at the university level. It's no longer obvious where we should turn our attention, and it's very difficult to figure out who to believe. We've covered enough about propaganda to litigate the issues with political news and information in this country. We've spoken at length about the system of information delivery on the right to know that nothing is an accident when it comes to so-called conservative media. Punditry today passes as news and plays a significant role in shaping narratives and opinions to audiences who are susceptible to confirmation bias. But that's the last stop on a deliberate train ride of misinformation that starts in boardrooms and backrooms populated by billionaires and fraudsters. It's in these rooms where ideas are cooked up that serve the corporate class in America before being delivered into the meat grinder of policy institutes, think tanks, and foundations that coordinate and disseminate these ideas, passing them off as facts. Publicists and advocacy groups get a hold of them and distill them into talking points and send their experts into the wilderness of mainstream and substream media channels. The headlines are dazzling and disturbing as a talking head reads the talking points over B-roll of troubling images. Once broadcast, they're cut up and distributed with different titles and gotcha headlines on social media and YouTube, and the algorithms dutifully serve us these short-form clips based upon our viewing history and our bias as we spiral further and further down the rabbit hole of deceit. Lo and behold, when a particular story reaches a fever pitch, there's a piece of legislation at the ready, long before prepared by the originators of the narrative in the backrooms and boardrooms. The introduction of the legislation at a political press conference gives the mainstream and substream media outlets a reason to revive the story, bring back the expert, and double down on the fearful images that made you care about it in the first place, so that when the pollster calls some random 70-year-old's landline to ask them how they feel about it, the respondent is able to muster a sufficient amount of outrage about the thing that probably doesn't exist, but they're terrified of. Meanwhile, over on the left, the process sounds a little more like this. So recently, Jay from Best of the Left shared an old organizational chart of the left and the so-called liberal media to illustrate the issue that the left has in attempting to pull off the same level of coordination. First off, because so many of the policies, stories, and ideas lack a profit motive, a significant piece of the puzzle is missing from the start. 
All of the layers in the conservative media landscape are heavily funded by billionaires. Robert Mercer created Steve Bannon. The Wilkes brothers founded Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire. The Koch brothers established the most successful think tanks. Rupert Murdoch owns Fox News. Peter Thiel, among others, funded Rumble. Dumbass now owns Twitter. And on and on down the line. It's a veritable buffet of cash for anyone that wants to play their game. Conservatives will counter with George Soros-backed foundations and outlets like the New York Times. Even The Intercept only exists due to the largesse of a billionaire. But for the most part, the corporate class has fully aligned itself with the right. Oh, and calling The Times a liberal outlet is something that makes leftists cringe because it's as mainstream as they come, especially the wasteland that is the opinion section these days. Then there's the reality that the left generally is motivated by policy, not money. That's lovely, but policy carries a major implication. When policy is generated for a purpose like it is on the right, to protect and preserve wealth and power for a small fraction of the population, it's created to promote this specific purpose. True public policy that is designed to attack and solve a social problem like equity, mental health, incarceration, and so on, means that it's forward thinking. The solution is educated guesswork, and breaking new ground is by definition more difficult than holding old ground, which leads to division, debate, and generally, an inability to coordinate messaging, distribution, and ultimately legislation. So in a way, the left media ecosystem is designed to be a mess. Therefore, any attempt to herd leftist cats is folly because it will always be breaking new ground and charting new territory. It doesn't mean that it can't be done. The civil rights movement is proof of that. Marriage equality is proof of that, abortion rights, women's suffrage, social welfare programs, all the good things that happen in society are the result of decades-long struggles to break such new ground and a push from the left, all while fighting the corrupt coordination of the right to halt progress at every turn. Additionally, this episode of UNFTR is brought to you by Unfucking Pro, Melissa M. So who can you trust in today's media environment? There are a few ways of looking at this. For casual consumers of news, it's a very difficult proposition. Because news leans toward the sensational, and it's far easier and cheaper, by the way, to produce punditry than it is to deliver news, the choices are remarkably slim, despite the preponderance of outlets and possibilities. In terms of delivery, Americans have voted with their hands, eyes, and ears. Consumption on digital devices dominates. It is over. Radio, print media, television, whatever. All bit players with respect to delivery. Upwards of 80% of Americans get their news on their devices. Now, this doesn't tell us anything about what they're consuming, just the preferred method of delivery. Pew Research offers some keen insight into our understanding of news. For example, only about half of Americans know the difference between reported news and aggregated news, meaning they don't distinguish between original reporting from, let's say, WAPO or The Wall Street Journal versus news delivered through an aggregator like Google or Yahoo. They might also credit an original cable television outlet as a source, even though they're only consuming segments via social media. And where cable news is concerned, by the way, in sheer numbers, Fox absolutely crushes all of the competition. In 2022, they claimed 13 of the top 15 spots, with the five, Fucker, Jesse Waters, Hannity, and Brett Baer claiming the top five spots. 
in the podcasting world, which has made incremental audience gains over the past few years, mainstream liberal outlets do a little better, but the top of the field is still dominated by conservative shows. In raw terms, trying to understand exactly who controls the media is way more difficult than it seems. Slate has a great article that speaks to the tangled web of media, and here's some highlights. Quote, the base level would be the cable and telecommunication companies like Comcast, AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon. These companies control the wireless networks and fiber optic pipelines that flood our lives with data. The second level would be the Google-Facebook duopoly, two of the 10 most valuable companies in the world and masters of our attention. Google and Facebook manage what we and they consider important, interesting, and, quote, relevant to us. Almost every company in the third and final level, the content level, must pay heed to the algorithmic power of both Google and Facebook, end quote. So the author makes an excellent point about the concern over media concentration and using the widely disseminated chart of media ownership from a few years ago that illustrated that 90% of consumed information came from six companies. It's a quaint chart that failed to foresee the real power base, distribution. With four and a half million podcasts, scores of cable channels, thousands of radio stations and television stations, traditional media, and so on, a 10,000-foot view makes it seem like we're awash in choice. But in reality, Google and Facebook are making the bulk of the decisions as to what we see. So what does this mean? It means that if you want to be informed, you can no longer be a passive consumer of news. A passive state where one consumes news on a digital device means you are being targeted and fed. The same with the television or radio. You turn it on, you get what you get. And in that spirit, I wanted to kick off the year by talking about the sources that I respect and why. They fall into a number of categories and track closely with the subject matter of UNFTR. So it's obviously biased towards left-leaning socioeconomic news and politics to be sure, but I thought it was appropriate since that's the lane that we travel to reveal these and to give them some light. Something I had to learn the hard way over the years is not to fall victim to hero worship. Unless your hero, of course, is Alan Alda, because he's perfect. Journalists, politicians, commentators, podcasters, YouTubers, everyone, they all have something in common. They're human beings, and humans are flawed. For years, I hung on every word that Christopher Hitchens said and wrote. I positively adored Matt Taibbi, respected Glenn Greenwald. In every case, I have been seriously let down and probably took these letdowns too personally because I engaged in hero worship. Now that I'm older, I can more easily separate the work from the person. I still love Griftopia from Taibbi, one of the best and most accessible explainers on the financial crisis. I could listen to Hitchens dismantle the Catholic Church on repeat for the rest of my life. And Greenwald was an important part of a team that uncovered a couple of massively important surveillance and civil liberty stories of the modern era. But in each case, the ego became more important than the work. But instead of shitting on Hitchens' grave or joining the chorus of Taibbi and Greenwald detractors, I wanted to lift up certain journalists and outlets that remain credible. Credible, dedicated, and necessary. So... First off, there are some individual reporters, intellectuals, social commentators who aren't necessarily tethered to a specific outlet, and they maintain independence in more of a traditional way. Figures like Naomi Klein, Cornel West, Yanis Varoufakis are the ones who carry the torch for Chomsky and Gore Vidal. Of course, Chomsky is still active and clearly important, as evidenced by the virtual mainstream blackout 
that sticks to him even in his mid-90s. There are other authors who practice journalism, such as Jeff Charlotte, whom I believe to be one of the greatest academics and journalists of the modern era. Then there are the outlets themselves. When I want to understand a true leftist perspective, I will sometimes tap into the Jacobin, occasionally Mother Jones as well, but the Jacobin is a more frequent go-to. One important distinction here, I look to them for perspective rather than reporting because I think that's where their strength lies. It's why I sometimes quote an opinion piece but tend to refrain from sourcing them as a hard reporting outlet. I do follow and subscribe to the New York Times and hear me out. I consider it to be as mainstream as they come. What I gave up long ago is reading the opinion section. Any outlet that keeps Thomas Friedman and David Brooks on the roster isn't winning this heart or mind. But the Times serves an important role in our culture because it maintains a healthy roster of some really great reporters who are dedicated to the craft. Boots on the ground still mean something. And to the extent that they have somehow been able to remain financially healthy in this new media world, that makes them important and necessary. That being said, it cannot and should not be considered the Bible in any way, shape, or form. As I've gotten older, I've learned to read deeper pieces with a more cynical eye. But for general reporting from a first-person perspective, I'm thankful that it exists. When it comes to niche but vital subjects, there are many foundations that do quality work, and they have journalism arms, which is interesting to me. One example that comes to mind is the Marshall Project. So if you're reporting or looking for information on mass incarceration, the Marshall Project is it. I find their work to be incomparable. When you're evaluating a foundation with a media arm, by the way, it's important to look at their funding sources, their mission statement, and the level of transparency. A nice healthy mix of donor support, individual memberships, and government grants says a lot about a foundation. And because UNFTR is predominantly focused on U.S. affairs, I don't often dip my toes into foreign policy. And this is a very tricky space. For example, FP, or Foreign Policy Magazine, has long been the standard bearer for global policy and thought leadership. But I find it to be a vessel for well-connected establishment figures with an agenda. So for on-the-ground reporting, I'll typically look at like Al Jazeera and then try to identify English-speaking foundations with a credible history of research and reporting so I can better wrap my mind around circumstances in foreign countries. But again, that's not so much our wheelhouse. So one outlet I want to call out specifically, along with certain journalists, is The Intercept. To me, it's the example of a billionaire-backed enterprise gone right. When it comes to civil liberties, U.S. budget, or even foreign policy perspective, I really favor what they do. Over the years, specifically, I've grown to admire the work of Murtaza Hussein, Peter Moss, and what Laura Flynn is doing with their podcasts. Two standouts in terms of reporting and thought leadership to me are co-founder Jeremy Scahill and Ryan Grimm. Scahill, to me, is everything you want in a journalist. He doesn't seek the limelight like his co-founder and former partner Greenwald, nor is he for sale as Greenwald apparently is. That's not to say Scahill hasn't had a turn at fame as the subject and narrator of the film Dirty Wars based on his book of the same name. It's just not what turns him on. A disciple of Amy Goodman, Scahill is as comfortable walking through war-torn Somalia as he is Brooklyn. As for Ryan Grimm, what can I say? For me, he's quickly turning into a national treasure. This guy is ubiquitous and incredibly well-rounded and informed as a reporter. He's a measured presence on so many other shows as a commentator, does a great job hosting Intercept podcasts, and has his finger on the pulse of Congress in a remarkable way. I can't say enough about him. So that's The Intercept. 
there are independent journalists that are punching way above their weight considering the lack of corporate funding and billionaire backing. I've long admired Abby Martin, for example. She is trouble. Smart, hungry, and willing to push the envelope and step into the line of fire, Abby's grown tremendously from her early years where she knocked around with conspiracy mongers. Now, what separated her from others like Alex Jones, who she got to experience up close and personal, was that she wasn't prone to swallowing conspiracies whole. She questioned conventional narratives and authority in a way that separated her from the pack. So Abby went on to host her own show on RT, which has now been scrubbed from the internet thanks to Russiagate, Ukraine, and what have you. But during this time, she honed her craft and made some great connections, which has led her to lead a rather fascinating life as both an artist and a journalist. You can find her online with a show called Empire Files or on the Media Roots podcast with her brother, Robbie. Then you have former establishment journalists who have struck out on their own, like Soledad O'Brien or Spencer Ackerman, who used to write for The Guardian, but now publishes under the title Forever Wars on Substack. They're amazing and well-connected journalists who took the road less traveled, and we are all better for it. Other important media figures include Laura Flanders, who still hosts an important show, and David Sirota. Sirota's actually on fire lately. His publication, The Lever, seems to be thriving, and he even wrote the Oscar-nominated film Don't Look Up. Sirota and The Lever have already broken a number of important stories, and he seems to be making the best of his moment. Okay, there are some OGs that I want to mention, two in particular, Tom Hartman and Amy Goodman. Tom Hartman is one of those indie media figures that's hard to put in a box. He's professorial, he's been around for decades, ridiculously intelligent, totally non-combative. He's truly a gem, and I don't listen or watch him enough. But he's highly regarded on the left and is one of the hardest working intellectuals turned commentators. And what can you say about Amy Goodman? Democracy now should be the nightly news in every home instead of the garbage that's fed to us. Oh, and a shout out to one mainstream journalist whom I admire greatly, Christiane Amanpour. Yes, she's establishment, but I believe her to be a person of great integrity, the rare breed who has integrity and connections and offers great perspective on foreign affairs, among other things. And let's not forget, she was so well connected that she knew where bin Laden was before the government did. So isn't Osama bin Laden laughing his ass off? You've met him. Does he? he I must haven't be... met him. I wish I'd met him. But, but I, I thought you did an interview. interview. No, I he's wish. In a cave somebody he's not. I just right talked now. to somebody very Wait, knowledgeable. Wait, he knows Osama Well, she doesn't think this woman who was in American intelligence. But by the way, Sarah Palin. In a villa in uh, a oh. nice, comfortable villa Cabo? in Pakistan. Now, it's hard to hear her over all of the pandering mansplaining between Gary Shandling and Bill Maher, but this was in 2008 when Amanpour was on Bill Maher's show and revealed that a source indicated that bin Laden was living comfortably in a villa in Pakistan. These idiots ran right over the only credible journalist and, of course, woman on the panel and dismiss her out of hand. Reason number 435, Bill Maher doesn't appear on this fucking list. Anyway. For general commentary, there are a couple of places that I go to stay on top of trending items. I really enjoy Throughline from NPR, and I think that Sam Cedar is the best in the business when it comes to general reporting on current political affairs. For that matter, David Pakman has some solid takes as well, but Sam's majority report is both consistent and entertaining, especially when it comes to legal matters, and I'm not sure what it is in Sam's background that made him so solid on court matters but he really excels at that type of analysis and has surrounded himself with some really bright young minds. Then there's a category of podcasts that are staples for me on more narrow topics. 
What Jennifer Briney is doing on Congressional Dish, for example, is nothing short of Herculean. Briney really does the work and it shows, so if you want to know what's in massive and life-changing bills that go through Congress unnoticed by mainstream media, Briney is the best. On religion, as many of you know, I'm a huge fan of Brad Onishi and Dan Miller over at Straight White American Jesus. It's amazing how much intersectionality there is between their takes on the religious right and current events in our politics today. Now for foreign policy, look no further than Danny Bessner and Derek Davison on American prestige. It's why we had them on our very first phone a friend. Danny is ruthlessly intelligent, and it appears as though Derek doesn't sleep because he seems to literally know everything going on in the world. And of course, I have my personal favorites in economics, the great Richard Wolf on Economic Update, Nick Hanauer over at Pitchfork Economics, and David McWilliams on his eponymous pod. Now, Rick Wolf has definitive themes as he's a Marxist professor, but he also possesses an encyclopedic knowledge of economics and history. And I like Pitchfork as well because they tap into some really incredible guests. Now, a couple of guilty pleasures to round things out before getting to an obvious closer. The first is Chapo Trap House. Are they vile at times and not safe for work? Absolutely. Will is there to move the show along and does a fine job. And Felix might be one of the funniest yet most twisted personalities to ever sit in front of a microphone. And these guys don't give a shit about audio quality, which can be really frustrating. But what I wait for is the moment that comes in every show when Matt unleashes a tirade that demonstrates the depth of his intellect and his power to dismantle establishment arguments like he's flicking a fucking insect off the table. Do not underestimate the fury of the Chapo. And now, a more recent love of mine is The Bituation Room by activist and comedian Francesca Fiorentini. I think she's awesome, and she snags some pretty terrific guests. And of course... That leads me to the pod of all pods, the pod father of the left, Jay Tomlinson from Best of the Left. You already know. But here's what I would say in relation to everything that we just went through. When Jay and Amanda reveal themselves on bonus shows, it's clear that these are people who care deeply about this country and the issues at hand. They're so smart and informed that Best of the Left could have easily veered into punditry or commentator territory, and Jay could have taken center stage. Instead, he remains utterly committed with his team to unearthing the very best of what exists in the podcast universe. More than anyone else in the game, Jay is really the source of truth, and his recommendations are definitely worth your time. So, that's it, unfuckers. Some musings on UNFTR and the media landscape to kick off our third year of shows. Obviously, this list is incomplete, and I'm sure I missed some favorites of yours. In fact, I would love to hear what your go-to sources are, no matter the medium. It's important to not only support these journalists and outlets, but to lift them up and amplify their work. We have to actively engage to seek out the credible sources, but also to share their work, because that's how we participate in the health of our democracy, or what's left of it. It's humbling and discouraging to think that if we add up all of the audiences of the people that I just mentioned, it probably just begins to approach the audience of one of the Daily Wire shows, the New York Times excluded, of course. And as I mentioned, this isn't just an incomplete list in my wheelhouse of socioeconomics and politics. It's incredibly incomplete when you consider all of the niche subjects that exist in the world. But I thought it was important to reveal beyond subject matter sourcing that I do on the show exactly who influences my mindset and inspires my worldview. We are all the sum of our experiences and therefore our biases. Thank you all for an amazing two years. Now I'm anxious to dig in and crush 2023 with your support. Remember, 
to subscribe to the UNFTR YouTube channel. We'll begin dropping videos in a few weeks, and hopefully you dig where we're going with that. To support our expansion, please, please consider taking out a membership at unftr.com or purchasing our native roasted coffee in partnership with the native coffee traders on the Puspatuck Reservation in New York. We're going to need all the help we can on fuckers. Here endeth the episode, and here we begin again. It's the end of the episode where we used to do show notes. Now we just talk through a few things. Reflect on what was said or what we should have done instead. Oh, post-show musings. Hey, welcome into post-show musings. Sitting here at the in the middle of January in our studio in New York, ready to kind of take on the year, getting our ducks in a row. We've got some great episodes coming up. Some more deep dives. We're going to actually be starting off with a little retrospective on Jimmy Carter, kind of tying it to the Biden years and drawing some parallels because, you know, we're about 50 years removed from a eh, little, little less than 50 years removed from the Carter administration. And I'm seeing a, a few parallels that are very interesting to me. Uh, so I thought I would tease those out. And that's where we're going to kind of start our deep dives. But in the meantime, let me welcome to the show somebody that you might have heard of. And I'd love for you to get to know, it's 99. Why is he allowed to be called Jimmy? Who's Jimmy? Carter. Yeah, weird, right? Why wasn't it James? Billy Clinton. Right? Ronnie Reagan. Yeah. Nobody else got that treatment, right? I'd have to go back through the analog there. I don't know. Benny Franklin, not a president. (laughs) Not. (laughs) I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah. I had another one. I had one. Old Tommy Jefferson. Yeah. I did Reagan. Oh, Teddy. Teddy Roosevelt. Right? Fair, fair. He was never Theo, never but Theodore, did, right? Was he... I feel like he was Teddy after the fact. Like, did they call him Teddy or did they call him Theodore? I believe he was Teddy. Well, it's because he was like a little kid and, you because know... Because he was... Uh, Love teddy bears. Uh Actually, he killed them. Yeah, he killed bears. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he killed them. Uh, but I believe that the story, uh, one of the early viral stories of uh, Teddy Roosevelt was that he didn't shoot a bear on a hunting trip. Maybe it's too small or whatever it was. And, oh, nice. And they were like, oh, you're such a sweet conservationist. And uh, we'll call you Teddy Bear. And oh, Teddy Roosevelt. And there you go. And so it mm. became a thing. Okay, so huge, huge gaps and obviously all of the people that I listed here, but these are the people I listen to. These are the people that that really inform my worldview. This is this is who I'm consuming all of the time. Some some more than others, and I sh- you know I, I try to I try to be deliberate and go back and try to you know consume a little more of Tom Hartman or what Laura Flanders is doing because they do really like kind of next level exceptional work. Democracy Now. I don't watch as often as I should. But when I started thinking about like who are the influences in my life, it's because there's so many negative influences out there and there's so many people that are getting, uh, you know, like the Taibbi and Greenwald circumstances right now or Joe Rogan or the people that are really blowing up in mass culture and are and are soaking up not just headlines, but a lot of cash in doing so. And you see that their fame has just totally taken away from whatever journalistic credibility that they might have had. 
but they too are the product of their environment and who's supporting them and who's influencing them at the time and where they decide to, you know, to hang their hat and to live in the circles that they're in, because it, it all becomes groupthink at a certain point. So I was trying to examine my own biases and, and figure out like, okay, so this is the space I live in, but these are the people that I listen to. And are they all great and authentic? And I think for the most part, and I've cut some people out over the years, but for the most part, I think that they're all really great. But it was important to reveal that to unfuckers because, you know, I again, I'm the sum of all the biases that I have as well. Now, we know a couple of the the shows that you, that you love and that you listen to, like we know your children over at uh, the last podcast on the left. You've mentioned the, what's the conspiracy one that you've mentioned a lot recently? Conspirituality. Conspirituality. So we know some of the core, uh, the core ones that you listen to, but when you're looking for like credible information or topic-based information, it doesn't have to relate anything to UNFTR. When you want to learn some shit, who do you trust out there? No one. <laughs> Truly? I mean, I've, even when I'm listening to someone I trust and I hear something that I know is not true... Like not an opinion, but just maybe, and we, you know, we do it too. So it's hard. Like sometimes you just get a fact wrong. It's hard to not immediately be like, fuck you, you guys are idiots. It's true. Yeah. So I can fall prey to that really easy. Even if I'm reading something and there's a typo, I'm like, no one saw this. You put this out in the world and there's a fucking typo in it and I'm supposed to trust you. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, it's not that I don't consume politics and news. I do constantly through this show. So I try to not engage in it as much when I'm trying to like unwind and, and learn in different ways. So that is why like, like a conspirituality, they, I would call them, I mean, they're not a news podcast, but everything they're doing is about what's going on in the world. You know, why things are like the way they are the same with maintenance phase. Uh, so, so that's who I like. I like shorter or longer form stories that teach me about either something in history that I wouldn't have known about and or something that's going on in the world that I also wouldn't have known about because it's just like a weird small faction but then when you dig into it it's like oh this is like a huge thing that who who would have known so that's where like a if lot there was of a big news space. story that that was breaking and caught your interest and and where where would you go first because you're not a Twitter person right no I mean I used to have Twitter like back in the day uh, I would try to stray away from getting, like, if I, if I was going on Twitter, it'd be like, to see if someone won, like, the Golden Globe. I'd be, like, refreshing for that. Or if there was, like, some dumb celebrity scandal and I wanted to read people, like, making fun of it, that's what I'd read Twitter for when I used it. You know, I get the alerts on my iPhone and they just come through. And then I won't necessarily go there, but I'll Google, like, mm. whatever happened. I don't know, uh trying to think of a recent event i don't know people were like pray for california and i was like i don't know what's going on in california so i googled like california today and there's a lot of flooding and rain and all that shit so i you know i'll go through and i'll see who you know who's there the atlantic mm -hmm. i trust i'll read the times you know that sounds so i'll read the times except they paywall me so i'm like fuck you i'm not giving you a dollar yeah i gave in i did um, the dollar easy you know i mean if I have to read Wall Street Journal, obviously, like the, I, I trust the big names for objective news. Like flooding isn't there's I mean, there's bias in everything, but yes. I don't think I'm going to get someone being like, well, I mean, there could be a climate change denier in there, I guess, theoretically. Right. But and if it's for something more nuanced, 
I would pro I'll probably read a few things and just compare and contrast, you know, and see where I, if I can pick up like whatever is happening, some sort of people injecting their own thoughts mm -hmm. into the article, which is what journals is. <laughs> yeah, no, and it is, and I think, I think people are co coming around to this idea, this idea that all journalism has bias because it, it's it's written by people there is no such thing as fair and balanced as much as you know they tried to sell that to us and you know that's a slogan more than anything else but all journalism has bias and yeah the problem with the concept of fair and balance these days is that we've we've allowed a we've allowed circumstances to evolve to a place where we give as much weight to the lies as we do to the truth so there's a lot of stuff where it's that's not perspective that's like this this didn't happen so why can't why are we talking about it kind of kind of stuff that's unfortunate in the media landscape today but it takes away from all of the people doing great work i mean looking at the 13 out of 15 fucking shows on cable and and the numbers drop precipitously after those top 15 shows it's fucking amazing but now that Rachel Maddow's out of the fight, they just dominate the top, right? I wouldn't even turn on the TV and expect to get news that is interesting or factual. Right. Except unless I'm watching local news. Local news. I want to know, like, yeah, you know, why, why the there's fuck a snow is, day. Uh, you know, why is the Belt Parkway all jammed yeah. up again? Yeah. But honestly, also, local news is just trauma porn. It's bad. 100%. My parents had it on recently and it was like, a woman was slashed in Queens and it was like no further information. And I'm right. like, why are you telling me right. this? Yeah. It didn't make me happy. Yeah, if it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> I know. It's tried and true. It's amazing. But it's always, in it, or it'll be, it's like the John Mulaney sketch where he talks about, um, is it the New York Post? And he talks about the different headlines. And so he's like, um, so, you know, there's an angel, which is a child who has died. But then there's a tot, which is an angel before they die <laughs> there's always like different levels of it that's yeah. just all local news is but um yeah i would never i don't understand people who watch cable news like what are you getting from that and like how many more times do the fox news hosts need to be deposed with a lawyer next for for something anything with a lawyer next to them being like no no, no it's just entertainment they don't actually believe what they're saying i mean how many more fucking times they they've been exposed constantly for that and yet people still take their words as sacrosanct i know the amount of time there's so many videos out there of hannity and fucker in particular flip-flopping on issues directly it's like insert name here because black president did it i'm going to feel this way and because mm -hmm. you know my white president did it this way i'll feel a different way but people it's 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 not even infotainment it's strictly entertainment and it dominates the media landscape but I thought what was important about all the Pew Research stuff and and what the, the that one article pointed out was we totally missed that transition from media landscape to delivery landscape and how everything got really small all of a sudden. So you could have a thousand outlets and a thousand channels out there. But if it's Google and Facebook deciding which one comes to your device, well, that's it. That's a wrap. That's an enormous amount of power. We've touched on that before, but I think it really... It really demonstrated why certain really great shows will forever live just kind of in the corner and, and not bust out to the mainstream. And I want to like Don Lemon. I want to like, you know, the stuff that's going on, on on the mainstream. But I just can't my, get myself to get there because it's all so topical and from the gut. And it's it's just got no context and no bite. And when they do those longer pieces, 
you got to wait till like CBS Sunday morning. And then it's usually like a slice of life kind of thing. It's like, oh, happy go lucky kind of, you know, you know, fart your way through the morning kind of shit. We do. Like, I, we do like CBS Sunday morning in my house. It's wonderful. My parents always watch it. Yeah. And, and that's that shit's necessary too. music commentary is necessary. Like there's a place in the world for stereo gum or what's the other what's the big one? That the pitchfork. Uh, pitchfork, right? Stereo gum, I will say, they're my number one. Their music reporting, I just on Instagram. They're so funny. They every like I probably send stereo gum articles or posts twenty times more than I send other things. You they still do work amazing with the guy who wound up over at Stereo Gum. He's still there. He was probably one of the best writers that I ever worked with. And the example that we used to give about him is like he he once wrote this like this absolute love letter to Swedish death metal. Hmm. I could not give a flying fuck about it. Didn't hear any Swedish death metal before or after. Don't care. Don't know. Don't care. But read this piece and was consumed by his written word, just his treatment of it. Yeah. Amazing writers over there. So there's a place for that shit too. Great travel writing. Great travel writing is an art. There's so much fucking bad like vlogging and travel vlogging. If you read a like a really wonderful travel piece that puts you into a destination, holy shit, it can break you. I'm uninterested in that. Really? Yeah. I never would rather read anything else. No kidding. I respect it. I just have no desire. Yeah. I mean, I th the, the great writers, the great commentators, the great broadcasters can bring you into a thing, an idea, a place, a story. And, and even bring up sports commentators. Oh, my God. The great sports writers. No, I, I was talking about the guys and women and people doing yeah. the games. I There is a difference between good and bad ones. This would be one of my biggest life challenges. If Joe Buck called a World Series that the Mets played in and I couldn't turn the TV off and listen to the radio. If for some reason all of the broadcasts and simulcasts went down and the only way you could listen to the game was to actually watch the feed and, and Joe Buck, I might actually watch it uh, without the volume on. That's one person. I can't stand Joe Buck. I mean, I don't have like a huge, I thought I was going to, I thought you were going to be like, we we're going to light up and get really animated and talk about it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, and it's not why I, I borrowed the name, but one of my favorite all-time commentators is Max Kellerman. And he mm. still does some stuff, I think, on ESPN. He's out in California now. He used to be, a, used to have a local show in New York, but for a boxing commentator, nobody, there's literally nobody better in the business. Like I like Jim Lampley calling fights, you know, back in the day when at the heyday of HBO fights. But Max Kellerman is so fucking smart and so good and so and he can speak on anything. But boxing really oh, just the best. So, yeah, great commentator there. Trust everything that comes out of his mouth when he's talking about the thing that he knows and he loves. Great sports writing back through history. I mean, some of the writing about boxing that I've consumed I have books and books on boxing by amazing sports writers through the years that are that are wonderful. Point being, there's so many fucking talented people out there, but in this industry, for some reason, the crime, the 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 cream does not rise to the top. The crime also the crime rises to certainly the top. does, right? That my new favorite thing is if I find someone, I'm like, oh, they seem smart. I Google their name and controversy, and like, <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Eight out of time, eight out of ten times, something comes up. I was thought that's so funny you said that. So I was following a YouTuber and I was like, okay, this, this person's got some stuff. Red right? flag already. <laughs> hey, come on. We're going to get there. Uh, and then I was like, why is it this, why is this channel bigger? This seems to be doing some really relevant stuff. And 
this person was from the same place in New York that I was from. And I was like, holy shit, this is fucking cool. And then, hmm, did the 99, unwittingly, Googled plus controversy. And I was like, oh, fuck. Sexual assault allegation right there. And the, I mean, it's just, it's very dispiriting. Yeah, very dispiriting. everyone is bad. Uh, but then again, you got fucking, uh, I mean, how many sexual assault lawsuits did Fox have to settle for fucking Bill O'Reilly? Tens of millions of dollars. Multiple, multiple suits until they just couldn't financially sustain it anymore. That's why he had to leave the network. They were like, you're too fucking expensive and I'm not talking about your salary. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's bananas. It's bananas. Yeah. It's I not just, crazy. There's nothing crazy. It's all bananas. Uh, I just texted my sister this morning about, I'll just, I'll out myself as the guy from Rick and Morty. Sorry, I like Rick and Morty, okay? I'm not one of those. So does Elon. You're good. I know. I liked it before. It was cool. Does that count? Before the whole seen every episode. Szechuan sauce debacle. Um, yeah, he's like a domestic abuser. Cool. Who, the creator? Not Dan Harmon, Justin Roiland. Who's who's Roiland? He he vo- he's a co-creator and well, sorry, co-creator with Dan Harmon, mm-hmm. and he voices Rick and Morty. It just sucks. Yeah, so that's cool. And I was like, everyone is bad, and we just need to remember that. Truly, like everyone is bad. <laughs> to a degree. I mean, to a degree. Remember I, that time I beat the shit out of you, but then I apologized right away. Uh, right? I don't, because I have. Uh, oh, did you CTE. suppress that? Oh, that's great news for me. Yeah. Well, you just outed yourself. I'll just I'll give you the men in black pen. Mm. What do you call that again? It's a thing they do. Phaser. That's Star Trek. I don't know. They might have borrowed it. <laughs> the de- atomite. The atomizer. The de- memory wiper. And fuckers. Wiper. Memory wiper. wiper. Yes. Swiper. No swiper. Swiper. No swiping. Swiper. No swiping. Yeah. Oh, I had a Mandela effect just now. It's not swiper. No swiper. Swiper, no swiping. Of course it's swiper, no swiping. Yeah, why would they tell him not to swiper? It's not a verb. Of course. So stupid. Mm-hmm. Man. Don't, don't bastardize Dora. Glad you're here. As always. Unfucking the Republic. Are you waiting for me? Is edited and arranged. Mm-hmm. By sound design. By sound design maestro, Manny Faces. It is lovingly produced by the great, powerful, omnipotent, Omniscient, omnipresent, 99. Thanks. I'm Max. All of the original music, by the way, was produced by Tom McGovern. Go to TomMcGovern.com. He's wonderful. Tenacious D opening Tom McGovern. What the fuck? So big. He's like, one day he's going to be like, you know, you guys? who? Yeah. Truly. No, I know. I know. That's why we got to get much, much bigger so that it, you know, we can still hang with them. Yeah. Right? They can be the official house band. I hate when our friends get bigger than us. Man. It's because of TikTok. I mean, also because he's really funny, obviously, but... He's so talented. I know. He really is. I could make TikToks of you. I think it'd be funny. <laughs> I'd laugh. Just and I know for a fact I, your kids would. As long as I'm not aware of them. Ooh, should I create a secret account? Yeah, go for it. And then I'll care. Get, okay. Me picking my nose and... I don't even have... I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to use it either. I think you just go like... You can go any... It's like it's like the Wonka Vader. Like, it goes up, sideways... I don't know where to swipe. I don't know Some how. Some of the shit that, that that people create on there is so funny and so imaginative and so creative. I'm like, how the fuck do people figure this shit out? Do you think it's gonna get banned? I there's some serious serious talks. If like more than ever. Yeah. No, I don't. Okay. I don't. Just like I stood by the 
the the assertion that Kevin McCarthy was going to be the House leader. I don't think TikTok is going to be banned. Got to be very careful about making those type of statements, you know, because uh, I'm so frequently wrong. So I've only got like two or three things right when I actually forecast. You were right about the Cuomo thing. Oh, no. Yeah. No, I said Cuomo would never fucking leave. No way this oh. guy leaves. I was totally dead wrong on Cuomo. I, th- I, could, I thought I you were wrong. You were right and I was wrong. I revisionist history did. In my favor, and I appreciate you for that. Mm-hmm. You're very kind and warm. What else do we usually say when we finish this out? Um, well, you we used to have a thing, but now you just tell people to go to the website. Yeah, go to the website. That's right, for all the things. Become a member, buy the coffee, get some merch. Do all the things at unftr.com because, again, the great and powerful 99 has just made it the most powerful website in the universe. Hey, hey, are you here because someone put a, a link to our sticker form on a weird website? Please email me and let me know. Oh, my God. Someone, there's like a bunch of websites where people just post free things. And I got like a weird Google alert. And then I had a thousand people fill out a form asking for a sticker. And now people are like, I love your show. And I'm like, I don't know if you're real. So if you're real, if you found us, send me an email. I'll tell you this much. We have a thousand new Valid email addresses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. But uh, people really love them them free things, huh? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Hey, I, maybe some people listened. I got a I got a good buddy who is the master of getting free shit from, and it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's just, they'll just be like, "Oh, I'll find something." <laughs> and they go, "They find." Like, Where do you search for this shit? There's a website. It's I looked amazing. at it. Oh. And it has more than just like get free stickers. It looks and shit. like Craigslist, but it, it's just like forum posts of free things. Amazing. I think people just search like quote free on Google, and then they just <laughs> they just post it there because a lot of it was posted by like the same person. And then I looked at the traffic to the page, and it was like from multiple sites. So now there's like mm-hmm. other free sites that are that are just. Oh, for the love of it. What's the word I'm looking for? Scraping, Scraping that, that free stuff. Yeah, great. Yeah. Super. Hey, I'm, I want I want to hear. Maybe some of these people came. Maybe they huh? came through. 99! Would you believe? But I'll see you next time. I'd believe it. Bye. Bye.